dad. Pray that you are encouraged and feel uplifted today. I'm going to start with a pop culture quiz, all right? A pop culture quiz. What do you think are the three all-time highest grossing films? Okay, the three all-time highest grossing films. What do you think number one is? You can share with your neighbor. What do you think the number one, the top highest grossing film of all times? This is not inflation adjusted, right? This is just purely money. All right, number one is Avatar. Avatar. It grossed worldwide $2.85 billion, with a B, dollars. Okay, number two. What do you think number two is? Number two is Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame grossed 2.8. Very close. Two point, I think at one time, actually, they surpassed Avatar, but I'm thinking because Avatar, right, they're coming out with a sequel. It, so anyway, they're right now number two at $2.8 billion. And what do you think the third highest grossing film of all time is? It came out, let me give you a clue, it came out in 1997. It's Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, for a long time it was the highest grossing film ever. Now, Interesting, because Titanic, it's, it's known as a, as a great love story, right, between Jack and Rose. And, and you, know, you know who primarily considered this a great love story? Women. <laughs> Women primarily, because Rose and Jack fall in love with each other, and he's the, the rough, kind of gruff, rogue, right, from a different lower social class and and they meet on the ship and and they fall in love and they have that classic scene where on the they're on the front of the the titanic and you know their arms out wide and and he's passionate and he helps set her free and they fall in love and he gives his life for her oh right? Oh, oh, so romantic, right? So romantic for Rose. <laughs> but think about the men in this story. Most of the men in this story die, right? You have the men, right? You, you have the men jumping overboard into the freezing water, right? You have the scenes where the, the men, the ship's getting tilted down, and the men are tumbling down the deck of the ship. And then you always have, the, you always have to have this scene when there's a ship going down, right? The ship's like up, and there's the one dude. He's hanging onto the rail for his life, right? And the ship breaks in two, and he can't, he's, he's losing, and he loses his grip, and he and he bangs and slams into the propeller, and he goes flying off into the ocean, right? For men, this film was like a tragedy. <laughs> it was a horror movie, right? Because they all died. And then at the end of this movie, right, Rose is, is on the debris, and Jack's in the, 
water. He's, he's freezing. He could barely talk. His face and lips are blue. And I'm thinking, dang, Rose, there's, there's room on that debris. Scoot over. Let Jack get up there. But no, right? This is, he has to give his life. And, and he gets tired and he just sinks into the water. Right? That gives you a clue that men and women are different. Right? And men and women have different roles. Right? What is in that situation when there's this disaster happening and lives are at stake, what are the men supposed to do? Who gets in the lifeboats? Women and children. The women and children get into the lifeboat. The guys are supposed to go down with the ship and give their lives for the women and children. Men, God has made you and I unique. That's, we have a separate role, calling, from God as man. We are to protect. We are to serve. We are to sacrifice. And that's part of the role of men. That's God's calling on us men. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. They are, we are equal, but not the same. We are both together meant to reflect the glory, a goodness of God together. You know, King David, probably the, the great, one of the greatest figures of the Old Testament, a man after God's heart. King David was on his deathbed, and he calls his son Solomon to his side, and he wants to give Solomon his final words before he dies. What do you think Solomon said, or what do you think David said to Solomon? What would you have said in that situation? Well, in 1 Kings 2.2, this is how King, Saul, King, King David starts his words to his son Solomon, who would be king. He says this, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. He's going to his death. And then look at this. This is what he says to Solomon right off the bat. Take courage and be a man. The opening words of King Solomon to his son, to King David, to his son Solomon, on his death word, bed, opening words to Solomon is, Solomon, be a man. You be a man. Today is Father's Day. And men, God has created you and called you and given you a specific identity, role, and calling. And he wants you and I to step into that. Fully step into and take steps towards being a man. Being men of God. Unfortunately, in today's society, men and dads are getting a bad rap. 
the idea of being a man who embraces biblical, traditional values is, is under attack. It is under attack. Men are often portrayed as buffoons, absentee, toxic people, right? You just think of all of the TV shows, the sitcoms. How are the dads portrayed in those stories? How are the men portrayed? I heard a story of someone landing in, I can't remember what airport, and he was flying into an airport, and they saw this ad, and it had these dads, and they were all dressed in tutus. And we hear that, and we see that in today's society. This is a quote by the American Psychological Association. Okay, the American Psychological Association. Traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. Traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. These are some heads, for, uh, have some headlines from recent years. Look up here. Conservative speaker says men are not women. This guy, this conservative speaker, he said men are not women. And then he is attacked, sprayed with chemicals for saying that. Traditional masculinity, headline, traditional masculinity can hurt boys, says new American Psychological Association guidelines. This Father's Day, men are experiencing a crisis of masculinity. The solution? More feminism. Toxic masculinity in boys is fueling an epidemic of loneliness. Another one. It's time for drag kings to detoxify masculinity on TV. Raise boys as feminists to change culture of sexism, says Justin Trudeau. There's hundreds and hundreds of more headlines these days. And it is an assault, it is an attack on traditional biblical idea of masculinity. We need godly men to rise up and stand up because we are in a cultural spiritual war. We are in a cultural, spiritual war. Uh, and, and, and it's a fight, and it's intense. Uh, I, I just read this book. It's called Take It Back, Reclaiming Biblical Masculinity, the Heart and Strength of Being a Man. And it's by this Dr. Tim Clinton. Let me just, I just want to read an excerpt from this book. It's a really good book. He says, godly men are fighting not only a culture that's against their masculinity and manhood, but also the temptations and spiritual tensions of this world set on bringing them down. Toss into the mix stress, fatigue, financial expectations to perform, pressures to be unethical, time demands, and loneliness not to mention pornographic images pounding them relentlessly from a myriad of sources, these are only some of the issues that godly men wrestle with on a regular basis. You know, lately I've been feeling very tired at times, just very exhausted, very tired. And so I was reflecting on it, and I thought, oh, probably, it's, I know one thing is probably just 
the whole thing, everyone's just tired from the whole pandemic, right? The whole pandemic, the whole lockdown, the whole tension with all that, concerns. And then I said, well, yeah, that's probably part, but you know, I did turn 60 last year, so I think I'm just getting older. You know when you get older, the, the thing is, is you just feel less energy. You just have less energy, you know? I have this theory about, I'll throw this, I have this theory about flies, you know? Flies, you know, flies, when they're young, they, they're hard to catch, right? And they experience so much in a day because they're just flying around so fast. And then there's those flies that are and time seems like it goes so slow because you experience so much less in a day because you're just flying around. So I, sometimes I feel like that fly. And then I thought, well, maybe it's, it's because, you know, there's get older, you have less testosterone, right, energy. And, and I think all those are probably a factor. They're probably true. But recently, it hit me. Recently, it hit me for the last three or four years, especially, being a follower of Jesus has been a fight. We've been in a fight. You feel like there's just assaults coming all the time. There's, there's this opposition all the time. Biblical values are just being blasted. There's, there's little to no fear of God in the nation any longer. And so we are in a time of intense warfare. And just the other day, I was, I was praying to the Lord. I was saying, Lord, as he was bringing this to mind. I was realizing some of these things. And I said, Lord, God, just I need more strength. And then I heard him speak to me. He said, no, you need reinforcements. Men, for the sake of ourselves, our families, our kids, our church, our values, our society, we need to rise up together. Now, now is the time. More than any other time in my lifetime that I've seen, we, the call is now. So how do we rise up? What do we do? How do we embrace biblical masculinity? Well, I think the main thing is we need to step into what the Bible calls headship. We need to step into headship. Here are some verses, Ephesians 5, 23. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. 1 Corinthians eleven three. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is a man. And the head of Christ is God. Headship in the Bible refers to authority. And I believe God has called men to be heads of their homes. To be heads of their homes and in society. And we need 
as men to learn how to be good heads. How do, what does it mean to be good, a good head? However, you know, headship can look and be interpreted and seen in many different ways. When you think of a head or headship, you could think of like a business CEO. And I'm sure all of you have, have, have had different types of bosses, right? Some lead and lead the company and are head in different ways, with different personalities. You can see as a C, you can see head as a dictator. And that's the fear of women. Oh, I don't know if I want my husband to be a head because in the past men have abused their authority in being like dictators. People could see a head as like the captain of a ship, guiding a ship. So there's many ways you can picture and understand what it means to be head in the biblical sense. Personally, I think there's one image that best captures the idea of what it means to be biblically a, the head of your household. And I think it's the idea of being a gardener. A gardener. Think about a gardener. What does a gardener do? Their job is to create the environment and give the nutrients so that the plants can grow and be healthy and fruitful. That's the job of a gardener, right? Create the environment, give the plants what they need so that they can be healthy, strong, vibrant, fruitful, to be all that God created them to be. Now, why do I think this image is the best? Look at this, Ephesians 5. This is after, the, you know, the Ephesians 5, 23 I read about the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. A few verses later, Paul addresses what that looks like. And this is what Paul says, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Here is the biblical, I believe, definition picture of headship. It's sacrificially loving his wife so that she could be all that God created and called her to be. Headship means servant leadership like Jesus. That's what it means. And God is saying to us men, now, not tomorrow, not next year, not like, oh yeah, I think I'll do that, or that's a good idea, now. Can't wait. This is the critical hour. Must learn how to be good heads and to step into those roles. This is a quote I was just read by Elizabeth Elliot. Her, her husband was Jim Elliot, right? Jungle missionary. He, he died trying to reach out to this tribe. This is Elizabeth Elliot, amazing person. This is her quote. Stand true to your calling to be a man. 
Real women will always be relieved and grateful when men are willing to be men. Wow. So let me give you three practical ways, three practical applications for stepping into headship and biblical masculinity. And this applies to not only the married men, but the single men as well. Because single men, you still need to step into your role as a man and as in headship because there is people around you, there are kids around you, there are single women around you that need someone that will look, help to look after them. First thing is this. First things first. Establish Christ as your head. That's the first thing for being a good head. You have to make Christ your head. Jesus is your head. And you need connection and direction from Jesus. Have to get this right first. Mark 12, 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With everything. All in. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first before anything else. Before work, before your wife, before your kids, before your hobbies, before the TV, before you eat. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will follow. All these things will be added unto you. Everything else will fall in place. But you have to get this right first. Christ is the head. And only when he is our head can we be good heads. To be in proper alignment with him. And it's nothing new under the sun. Read your Bible. I know we're busy, but you have the time. You know how I know? How much time do you spend on your phone? How much time do you watch TV? We have the time. You have to get into his word. Second, nothing new under the sun, you have to pray. And when I say pray, it means connecting hearts with Jesus. We have to connect hearts because he's the head. We need connection and direction from him. And I would strongly encourage you, I know that for 58 years of my life, well, I actually did it for a while, but for most of my life, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I, I even despised it. I go, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to journal. But when I say journaling, it's not like a diary. I've journaled pretty much every day of the week, the weekdays, for the, like the last two and a half years. It has been probably one of the best things I've ever done in my spiritual life. And my journaling is this. I sit down, I ask Jesus a question, I ask God a question, and I just sit. Whatever I sense him speaking to me, I just write it down. And then I evaluate it later, but I just write it down. And you begin to more and more as you keep at it you have to keep at it you have to work it requires work it requires effort it requires discipline you have to train yourself to do it and the more you do it you start hearing the lord a little bit more 
hearing the Lord a little bit more. And that has been the most significant aspect of my spiritual life the last two and a half years because I'm getting connection and I'm getting direction from my head. This, this, is a, this is an incredible statistic. If a child is the first in their household to attend church, okay, you have a household, the child is the first one in that household to attend church, there's a 3.5% probability that the rest of the household will attend church. If the mother is the first to attend church, there is a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will attend church. But if the father is the first to attend church, there's a 93% probability that the whole household will attend church. Dads, you make a difference. You make a huge difference. And your family and your kids need a father that will lead. And that doesn't mean you have to be the strong you know, leader like we think about. But it's lead by the things that you do by making Jesus your head. Second, let's get ready to rumble. Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble. I know, guys, you've all heard that. But it's prepared to be the head. Before Paul talked about being the head and Christ being our head in 1 Corinthians, he says this, two verses earlier, he says this, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's saying, I follow Christ, follow me. And you know what this says to me? How do we get ready to be ahead? How do we get ready to fight for our families and our church and our society? Number one, have a mentor. You need a mentor. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Who do you know that has a great family? Who do you know that models headship in a godly servant leadership way? Who do you know that has, is positively impacting others? Take the initiative and go up to that person and say, hey, can I meet with you? Can I talk with you? I see this in your life, and I want that too. If you don't know, ask your spouse. She'll know. She'll know you need to meet with that guy. (laughs) Number two, have good friends that want the best for you and are willing to challenge you and call you out in love. We all have blind spots. We all get lazy. We all mess up. And we need friends that will push us to be our best. You guys know this because you see this in sports all the time. To be a championship team, those guys have to get in each other's face at times. And it's not to be mean, it's not to be critical, but it's because they could see in one another, you can be better than this. I've seen you be better than this. And they challenge one another 
to draw out the very best in one another. Proverbs 12.1, to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate criticism. Proverbs 13.18, if you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. Proverbs 27.6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A big part of who you will become, guaranteed, is the people that you have around you, the people that are closest to you. I just talked to someone the other day, and he was saying when he was growing up, he saw the guys he was hanging around, and he saw, you know what? He stepped back. I don't, wanna, I don't want my life and future to be like that. And so he changed friends. You are going to be like the people you hang around. And we need, because we have to, guys, we got to do it together. There's no way we could get there on our own. There's no way we could be all that God created and called us to be unless we have guys that will have love and courage enough to say, hey, man, you're messing up. You're off track. Or why are you doing this? What's going on there? And you know it's because they love you and they see something more than you could see in yourself. Third thing, homework. Prepare your place. Now this one is a little different because this one is a just very concrete, very practical. It's something, first step that you can do. And the reason why I feel like the Lord, our leadership... We've talked about it, and we feel like this is important. This is something that we want to encourage our people to do. And, and I thought about this. It's so just tangible and concrete. I thought it's almost like if you just start doing this in your household, it's almost like a prophetic act. It's saying, I'm doing this action to start stepping into my role as head of the household. So what am I talking about? It's prepare your house for emergencies. Prepare your home for an emergency. I think this is important, and our leadership believes this is very important. All our leadership have or are in, in the process of doing this. Number one, in California, you've heard it decades, right? The big one is going to come. It's not if, it's when. And so we need to be prepared for like an earthquake, right? And I know a lot of you guys, you've probably thought, yeah, I should do that. You probably thought, heard these kind of messages. Yeah, I need to do, I really need to do that. But nothing's been done for years or decades. Secondly, recent years, you guys are hearing it. Food chain supply, right? The supply chain. The, there's going to be shortages coming. The baby formula thing. There's, they're, they're warning us. They're telling us, those that know far more than we know, they're saying, there's things happening, there's things coming, get prepared. And so I think the time is back now. And this is one very, very tangible, concrete way you could step in and say, okay, I'm going to 
I'm going to, I need to start doing something. And so together we're going to help on July, Sunday, July 10th, right after service, here in this room probably, auditorium, we're going to have a short meeting where the leadership, we're going to share our hearts, why we're doing what we're doing, and we're going to give information and start us preparing. And men, that's your role. That's your role in your household. That's part of being head of the household. That's part of stepping into headship. Now, at this meeting, anyone could come. Anyone could come. Women could come. Anyone could come. Singles could come because it's good for you to be prepared too. But I specifically want to challenge and call out the men, especially those of you that are husbands and fathers, to step into this. And as a church, my hope and our prayer and hope as leadership is that we won't just prepare for our households, but we'll prepare extra so we can be a light, so we can be a blessing, so we can be a witness to the people around us, so we can cover some of the single women in our church. We could say, hey, I'm getting extra for you, and, and we're doing this together as a church family. Guys, I know you probably didn't expect this message today, but this is a message I believe from the Lord for this time. Because now, now, now is the call and the time that we need to step up. Let me close with this verse, Nehemiah 4.14. Then as Nehemiah looked over the situation, much like we're doing today, looking over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people here and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home. Men, it's time to stand up and get ready and start fighting. And start fighting. So let's do it together because none of us can do it by ourselves. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I really do believe that this was a message and this was a season. This was the, the Kairos moment, the moment in time that you called us to, and especially called the men to step up. We're in a war. We are in a battle. And um, God, our, ourselves, our families, our kids, our brothers and sisters here, our church, our community, it's under attack. And so, Lord, would you stir in every single person and would you especially stir in the men in our church to just start taking steps into headship and preparing for headship, God. May you Jesus, be our head. May we firmly establish you as the head of our lives. And may we follow 
and be good heads, servant leaders, great gardeners for our families and for the people, loved ones and the people around us. That through us, God, and on, up, upon us, they could be all that you have created and called them to be in your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our online service. Hope you will join us in person sometime. It would be great to see you and meet you. Don't forget to subscribe to our Catalyst YouTube channel so you don't miss out on anything. And be blessed this week. And as always, thank you, Jesus.